0: Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. I love hearing Jeff's story, uh, and there's no doubt whatsoever that God has done an amazing work in his life. And uh, that's a a testimony of that is that not long ago, I received a letter here at the church from a member of the community, and they were simply writing to let us know, and they have no affiliation with our church whatsoever. They're simply writing to let me know that uh, they were thankful for Jeff because he lives out the love of Christ. And that was, a, that was a phenomenal letter to get for any pastor to get, to get that about one of your church members. And um, I'm thankful for Jeff in that way. He lives out that faith that he just gave testimony to. Last Sunday, we looked at the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as a part of this story, God's story, that we're working through. Today, we turn our attention to the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28. The, Gra- the Great Commission is actually found in four, uh, all four of the Gospels, as well as the first chapter of the book of Acts. Matthew's account is by far the best known account of the, the Great Commission. Each of the accounts that we see, all five of them, bring different components to Jesus' sending out of his disciples. Matthew's account uh, focuses on the making of disciples. Mark's account brings into the picture the signs that will accompany salvation. Luke's account is centered around the disciples being witnesses to God's working through Jesus. John's account shows us Jesus um, sending out his disciples in much the same way that God sent Jesus out. So in a similar way to what God sent Jesus out, Jesus sends out his disciples The book of Acts is honed in, the account there is honed in on the power that enables a believer to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, throughout the last 2,000 plus years, Jesus, since he commanded his disciples to go, there are churches and there's individuals all throughout those years who have taken the Great Commission to heart and they follow Jesus in that command to go. They go to their neighbors, they go to their co-workers, they go to the street corners, they go to other countries. Wherever they go, they take the good news of Jesus with them. Here at Salem, we have chosen to use the term, you are sent, at the end of our services, right? You remember hearing that every Sunday. We tell you, you are sent, as just a way to remind us of the Great Commission. You are sent out from this place. Now, my hope is that today... We're going to be able to take a look at the Great Commission here in Matthew chapter 28 and see it for the sending potential that I believe Jesus meant for it to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't help but be launched out into serving Jesus. It's not a question of if you are sent. It's only a question of where and how. I'll say that again, and I want you to write this down too, okay? Write down the statement. If you've got a piece of paper with you, the pen, write this down. It's not a question of if you are sent as a believer. There's only a question of where and how am I sent. That's something I want you to take away with you today as we leave this place in a few moments. I hope you'll take away from this discussion an answer to, or really this this reminder of, it's not a question of if you are sent. It's only a question of how and where. There should never, ever be a question in your mind in which you're wondering if you're sent. The only question should be one of of humble submission to God, saying, God, where and and how am I sent? As as a follower of Jesus, how am I sent out? Matthew chapter 28 is where you're at. We're going to read verses 18 through 20 together. And I'm going to ask if you would please um, stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. Our Father, as we approach your word today, I ask that in these moments we uh, understand fully what you left for us to understand. And Father, I pray you also, deeper than that, I pray you help us understand what it looks like for us to live out what we find here in your word. Our Father, we know without a doubt that, um, that there is no God like you. And Father, we thank you for orchestrating this plan that, that put Jesus on this earth to live and die in my place, to pay for my sin. But then, Father, we also thank you for the resurrection and the victory that comes with the resurrection. Father, today, as we look at Jesus' last command before he left the earth, Father, would you show us what it looks like for us to live this out well, and would you be honored in everything that takes place this morning? We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to work through um, several questions that have to do with the Great Commission, all right? And here's the first question that I'm going to pose to you, or that we're going to work to answer. It is, by whose authority are we sent? By whose authority are we sent? If, uh, if you're at work and your boss sends you to go do something, then you are being sent to do that task, whatever it is, under the authority of your boss. Um, if you're in the military, and you are commanded to go into battle or to carry out a specific assignment, then you are doing so under the authority of your superiors, really of your your nation at large, ultimately your commander-in-chief. But you're carrying out your, your job under their authority. If you're a child and you're instructed by your parents to do something, then you do so in submission to the authority that is there in your parents. All of life is spent living in authority to someone And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't think I have an authority, then let me know how that works out on April the 15th when the tax man comes around, right? We've all got an authority of some kind in our lives. So Jesus comes to his disciples here and here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I have the right and I have the approval to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I've got that right. It's God who's given that ability or that authority to Jesus. Warren Wiersbe um, wrote a commentary on this passage of Scripture. And in his commentary, here's what he has to say about the authority of Jesus. He says, Since Jesus Christ today has all authority, we may obey him without fear. No matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstances we face, he is in control. By his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated all enemies and won for himself all authority. That means that what Jesus is about to tell his followers in the Great Commission, right? What Jesus is about to tell his followers is not riding on their ability or their talents. It's riding on him because he's the authority in the matter. For us today, Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples. As we're going to see in just a moment, go and make disciples. But listen, we do so not based off of our own authority or our own ability in any way, but on the authority of Jesus. That means that I, Kivit, is freed up to simply obey the one who's in control. You are freed up to simply obey the one who's in control. We don't have to be an authority on the subject of the gospel. Our role is to be faithful with our part in the gospel. So then as we move into understanding the gospel and, and our part in that here in just a moment, we have to do so with this understanding, first of all, that the authority is Jesus. It belongs to Him. It's not ours. All right, so moving on. So the question, uh, question, answer to this question is simple. We are sent under the authority of Jesus. Here's the second question. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to make Disciples. The core of the Great Commission that Jesus gave to us is in making disciples. On the screen there, you see the verses 19 and and verse 20, beginning of verse 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, in the Greek, the word go is a present participle. That means it can be easily translated um, to something such as saying, as you are going. Okay, so as you are going. So no matter where you are going, you make disciples. It's the same way with the words baptize and teach. Those are participles. And they derive their force from the one controlling verb, which is make disciples. Which means that that going and baptizing and teaching are are only good as they contribute to making disciples. Let me see if I can clarify this for us a little bit, okay? So we can wrap our minds around it. Jesus' command, his central command here in this passage is make disciples. All right, the, the go, the baptize, the teach are all the how we make disciples. So if there was a formula or a pattern, something that you're looking for, okay, how do I best understand this? You can look at it something like this. Okay, Jesus' formula, here it is. For his command, make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then you repeat that process. So, um, Jesus' command, make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Repeat, make disciples by bap- going, baptizing, teaching. Repeat. Get the idea here, right? Going, baptizing, teaching. That's, that's the, the, the pattern that God had in mind, that Jesus had in mind when he launched people out here in the Great Commission. Right? The, 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 the goal here, the action is to make disciples, Once again, I want to go to what Warren Wiersbe has to say in his commentary on this passage. Here's here's what he says. A disciple then is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truths of the faith. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. He's enabled to go out and win others and teach them. This was the pattern of the New Testament church. We see that pattern in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Wearsby continues, in many respects, we have departed from this pattern. In most churches, the congregation pays the pastor to preach, to win the lost, and build up the saved, while the church members function as cheerleaders if they're enthusiastic or spectators. The converts are one, baptized and given the right hand of fellowship, and they join the other spectators. How much faster our churches would grow, and how much stronger and happier our, our church members would be if each one were discipling another believer. The only way a local church can be fruitful and multiply instead of growing by additions is with a systematic discipleship program. This is the responsibility of every believer and not just a small group who have been, in quotes, called to go. Folks, the one thing that we have got to do well as a church, as Christians, the one thing that we've got to do well, the one thing that without it everything else we do is useless is make disciples. No matter how good we are at everything else, if we don't do that well, then we fail. Folks, we can have the best programs in the world for feeding the hungry. We can have the best music services in here that you could ever imagine. But if we fail at making disciples, then we fail as a church. We fail in the mission that God has given us. Robert Coleman wrote a book entitled The Master Plan of Evangelism in which he says this: The great commission is not merely, so not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts in the name of the triune God, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build men to build women, I'll add to that, like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only followed but led others to follow his way. Only as disciples were made could the other activities of the commission fulfill their purpose. Folks, I fear sometimes that there's some areas in which Salem is missing the boat when it comes to making disciples. Oftentimes we find far too much comfort in observing or attending church church. And far too little drive to make disciples. What would it look like for us to completely change our language and change our outlook on church to reflect a heart and a desire to make disciples more than it is to be content with a sideline position somewhere? Can I tell you that more and more I'm seeing a heart for truly making disciples in my own mind and in my own heart. I'd rather have have few people— Fewer people in attendance who are truly committed to being the church the way Jesus meant for us to be the church than for us to have an auditorium full of people who are here simply to be entertained or to fulfill some kind of civic duty. Church, we got to get to the point. By the way, let me say, that's scary. Because I look around and I think, my goodness, this is a great big place and we need people to give. But I'd rather have fewer people in attendance who are committed to making disciples the way Jesus meant for us to than to have a lot of people who just kind of sit by the wayside and, you know what, I'm kind of here, kind of not. Church, we got to get to the point where we realize it's all about making disciples. It's not about sitting idly by observing or, or fighting over music or fighting over carpet or fighting over chairs or anything else. We dream about reaching 1% of the lost population of our city with the gospel. That's what I've shared with you many times. It's something that literally I've dreamed about several times because I talk about it so much. But listen, I pray we have an opportunity to be involved in every man, woman, and child having repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. But that's not going to come unless God's people engage in the mission for themselves rather than relying on other people to be the ones who are engaged. When we say you are sent, we're saying that you, as an individual, are sent out to make a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. That's the way God meant for it to be. You are sent to go make a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. We can strategize, and we, and we, we should strategize, and we should ask, how can we be most effective at making disciples? We can ask, where's God already at work where I can join him in that work? But then when we've asked those questions, we engage ourselves in the mission of God for His glory and for our good. Along those same lines, a question that I get sometimes is, how do I, as a sent person, I believe I'm a sent person, I believe I'm a believer, stay faithful? And the question comes in some variety of that, of, that, of that wording, right? How do I, as a sent person, stay faithful to this? Sometimes in this status as a, as a sent person. There's a variety of concerns and there's emotions that accompany it. Sometimes there's fear. Sometimes there's, there's doubt, right? I, I've, I've struggled with doubt many times. There's, there's anxiety that comes with it. Sometimes there's a level of danger. There's always questions, always questions. I think Jesus knew that those would accompany, those emotions, those thoughts, those concerns was going to accompany this commission that he's given his disciples. So right after he gives this actual commission, here's what he says. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I am sending you out to make disciples everywhere you go based on my authority, but you're not going alone. I'm going with you. You look elsewhere in the book of John, you see that Jesus promises He's never gonna leave us, He's never gonna forsake us. He's gonna send a helper that would indwell and and fill us as believers with the very presence of God. So when we ask this question of how do I stay faithful in my status as as a sent person, Jesus Himself gives the answer. It's by remembering who has the authority, Jesus, remembering who has the authority and the fact that we carry with us the very presence of that authority. The knowledge that Jesus is with us until the very end should fuel our ministry as sent people. We're not operating on our own strength. We're operating in His strength. That very fact should prompt me to give all of who I am to be sent on mission for Christ, knowing that no matter what comes up, He's going to be faithful to carry me all the way through. In in Cairo, Egypt right now, there is a small dusty grave in the middle of nowhere, in fact, you'd never know in a million years that it was there. It's all overgrown with grass, and the cemetery itself is. But in that cemetery and in that grave lies the body of a man by the name of William Borden. You might recognize the Borden name. It's the Borden Milk Company, right? It's, it, it was huge years ago. Not so big now, but um, in the early 1900s, one of the largest companies in, in the country. William Borden graduated from Yale in 1909, He had a life of luxury and a life of power that was all laid out for him. It was ready for him. Borden, um, like I said before, is still a big company, but then it was one of America's biggest. He was the heir to that company. He would have had all the riches that he could ever imagine. He had become a Christian, though, as a teenager. He told his parents that he was giving his life to bring the gospel to Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. On a ship en route for medical help before he died, someone asked him um, what he thought about his decisions. And he said simply, No regrets. That's a simple answer no regrets. On his tombstone in Cairo is a brief description of his sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, followed by the simple phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Now, as I think about William Borden, I think about someone who is willing to give everything to live as a sent person. He even got to the end of his comparatively short life and said, You know what? I got no regrets. I got no regrets. Now, I would argue that that really any true believer could go live the same way that that William Borden lived. We could do that. We could give away an enormous amount of money for people who don't have as much as as we do. Uh, We could reject even the ownership of a car in our pursuit to, to do good for other people. We could move to a third world country, away from our family and live in conditions that are starkly different from anything that we grew up in. We could sacrifice everything that we ever knew to be, to to make us comfortable, to live for Christ. Folks, does your faith in Christ tell the world that you are a sent person? And it might not be that God is calling you to do all these things that William Borden did. It might not be that God's calling you to give away everything that you've got or to not own a car or anything like that. But the question that I've got for you is, does your faith in Christ tell the world that you are a sin person? Are you marked by radical, selfless, even audacious faith in God? Are you willing to throw it all away for the sake of others coming to know the God that you claim to serve? Church, listen, staying faithful in your status as a sent person comes by remembering the authority of the Savior who called you. And it comes by boldly, selflessly, sacrificially, audaciously holding on to the presence of that Savior no matter what he calls you to do. There's going to come a time, there is going to come a time in which God calls you to do something, to serve him in some way. And it might be that he calls you to give of your resources or give of your time or to give of your, your, your energy. It could be anything that he calls you to do. It could be that he even calls you to give up your very life. But when that time comes, you stay faithful as a sent one because you know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and that his powerful presence is with you wherever you go and it will never leave you. You stay faithful. You hold on to the fact that as a disciple, and as a disciple maker, you have a hope, you've got a promise that is sure, that it's never going to fade away. And you go be faithful, not in your own strength, not in your own authority, but in the strength and authority that your Redeemer has. Then here's the last question that I would to present to you. Practically, how do I do this? How do I do this? What does it look like for me slash Salem Baptist Church to, to live with a sent mentality? What does it look like? And there's a few answers I would have to this question. Number one, proclaim Christ and his crucifixion. Proclaim Christ and his crucifixion. Wherever you go, you do this. Our power is found in Jesus. Our salvation is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our joy is found in Jesus. We believe that the answer to life's most difficult questions is found in Jesus. Therefore, we proclaim him. One of the coolest parts about being a believer is the fact that God chooses to use us to proclaim Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul, even in the passage of Scripture that was read for us earlier in Romans chapter 10, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? And I echo that. Go! It is awesome to see people taking the gospel and sharing it with other people. Not necessarily standing on a stage like this and preaching the way that I am right now, but you preach in the way that you interact with other people and you tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you know what I how I feel about feet, right? Yeah. There's a line in there that says, "How beautiful are the feet of those um, who preach the good news." I don't know that feet are ever beautiful. Except in this case. How beautiful are those who take the gospel to other people. Church, people will not hear about and believe in Jesus unless we tell them. So let's tell them. Right? Here's the second thing. Secondly, in living living with a sent mentality, die to yourself, live in Christ. Die to yourself, live in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It's no longer I who live the Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me if you are a believer then live like a dead person live like you've been crucified with Christ live like you've died to yourself and as if Christ truly does live in you lay it all down for the sake of making disciples Understand that whatever part of yourself that you might be hanging on to that you deem more important than Jesus has got to go. Kill it. Get rid of it. Mortify it. Your life is only truly found in Jesus anyway. So, why would we hang on to anything else? Number three, practice bold, audacious faith. Practice bold, audacious faith. Acts chapter one, verse eight is the Acts account of the Great Commission, which Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Folks, the promise is there. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. For us today, that is at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and we will be witnesses about Jesus all over the world. Now, that's a great big job. It's an awesome job, but it's a big job. It's going to take bold, audacious faith for us to follow this commissioning that Jesus has given us. I'm personally excited about that. I'm excited to be involved in whatever plan God has for proclaiming the gospel to others. If I had to be honest, though, I would tell you that I'm also afraid that those with the bold, audacious faith will be silenced by those with the loud, condescending complaints. concern I have is that those with the bold, audacious faith will be silenced by those with the loud, condescending complaints. You know, there's times in our church in which we've got both. We've got people filled with faith or who are striving to be filled with faith. And we've got the naysayers Sometimes the ones who prefer comfort and tradition over calling. Folks, it's not just the thousands of lost people around us who are at stake. Our very children are at stake in this. If we're not careful in our propensity to hold too tightly to tradition and to comfort, we're going to lose our children. So church, let's not choose our traditions, and let's not choose the way we've always done things, and our comfort overreaching people, over making disciples. That should be preeminent in everything that we do. And I just want to publicly kind of call our church to bold, audacious faith here for just a moment. Bold, audacious faith that thrives in the authority of Jesus as our head. Can we be a church that's committed to living out the Great Commission as sent people who are really fully willing to go all in for the sake of the gospel, no matter what that means? Folks, I can't wait to see what God might want to do through his sent ones here at Salem if we practice faith that relies on the power of God to show up and show off. I can't even imagine what God might want to do through us and, and in us in days to come. But let's let our bold, audacious faith in him be the driving force, not any kind of desire that we've got to, to create our own path or to, to even, even to hold on to the things that we've got. Let's say, God, this church is yours. I am yours. Let's go make disciples. Number four, last point, remind yourself often that you are sent. Remind yourself often that you are sent. In the book of Deuteronomy, God's giving the nation of Israel his law. And one of the things he tells them is to keep the law in front of them all the time. They're to remind themselves of that law often. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The principle behind this is that if something is really important, then we should keep it in front of us always as a reminder that we should never forget it. It'd be safe to say that the Old Testament law was important for God's people to remember, right? But it would also be safe to say that the Great Commission is equally as important for us to remember and to keep in front of us today. We are to remind ourselves often that we are to live as sent people. And what God knew in the book of Deuteronomy is that the people needed some kind of consistent reminder so that they would never, ever forget His law. I don't know about you, but um, I remember a whole lot better when I've got some kind of visual tool to help me remember. You're Probably the same way. And as we're thinking about um, today and we're thinking about how to challenge our church to live as sent people, we had this idea, okay? Now, um, it's actually Pastor Harper's idea, so if it, if it bombs or if it's, if it's a great idea, it's actually his fault, okay? We'll give him the credit. I love you, man. Here's what we're gonna do. In, in just a moment... The ushers are going to come up here, and they are going to pass the offering plates. But here's the thing. Um, we aren't asking you to give anything at all. In fact, uh, now, now, by the way, we won't turn money down, but if you would like to give, you can do so in the offering boxes at the back as, as you leave, okay? But um, here's what I'm asking you to do. In that offering plate is going to be pennies, one-cent coins, Now, I told you it could be cheesy, right? Here's what we're asking you to do. Take one of those pennies and get in the practice of putting a penny in your pocket every single morning to remind yourself that you are sent. All right? Simple, isn't it? As the offering plate comes by, you think about, um, you know what? Am I willing to live as a sent person? I love what Acts chapter 13 tells us about our role as, as believers. Here's what it says. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's our job. That's our role. That's our our privilege as believers to be able to take salvation to the ends of the earth. Church, we believe that you are sent. We are sent. So, as this offering plate comes by here in just a moment, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and come up here and, and get ready to do this. Folks, if, if you are willing to be a part of this wonderful commissioning of God to live as a believer who is sent, then I want to I ask that when this, when this offering plate comes by, that you take out a penny and you stick it in your pocket. And then in days and weeks and months and years to come, that you, that you always put a penny in your pocket to remind you, you know what, I am sent. And you know what? The cheesiness of it may be something that helps remind you, right? I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to ask that we as individuals, but we as a church, live as sent people the way God intended for us to. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for this great commission. These last words that Jesus gave us before he ascended to heaven. Father, what a responsibility, but what a privilege to be able to live in the middle of a mission that's much bigger than we are. Father, we do truly pray that every man, woman, and child will have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. And Father, we know without a doubt that you want to use us as individual believers and us corporately as a church to make that happen. So Father, would you help us to live as sent people? Oh Lord, we love you. Thank you for saving us. And now we pray that you save others through us. May we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.